you know, we're we're just not willing, I guess, to um, you know, to have this pie in the sky utopia belief that that it's all going to be better with the next election. Um, mm-hmm. We've been down this road for the past, you know, I am certain for both Rich and yourself, you know, Rich and yourself, we've been down this road for the last 30 to 40 years. I mean, we can pretty much nail exactly how it went. Um, so what do we get? We got one guy to take us one step forward. You know, these guys mm-hmm. are drafting legislation and adopting rules and regulations at a pace, you know, 10 to 1 of what any mm-hmm. Republican even thinks that he should be considering, you know, getting rid of. So mm-hmm. uh, we, and then you couple the actual monetary machine that has built this. I mean, I've had conversations in the last week here myself with people regarding the economic issue here. It It, it is amazing to me we have literally, I don't know if it's going on down where you guys are at, but we have literally, you know, the talkers, the talk radio talkers, just literally abuzz with all the things that people are doing, all the flurry of, of activity of being involved. Now, the minute I say that, the first thing that some who might hear these archives is going to think is, well, you know, this is this is Doug again going to, you know, take all that good and paint it with the negative brush. <laughs> whatever, whatever you, you know, whatever somebody feels like they've got to do, um, that's fine. You know, go ahead and slap some tarnish on me. Uh, but... I'm living in Reelsville. You know, I know there was somebody who called himself the person who lives in Reelsville. Well, I'm telling you, I really think I live in Reelsville. And mm-hmm. I've seen it, and I've watched. And if you think that I gained anything on the last go-round with the guy in there for four years, if you think I gained anything, and it goes right back to the same issue I know I'm going to step on some toes again about this whole military mentality of those who are ex-military. Mm-hmm. How can you, unless you are double-minded, on the one hand, know everything that you can know about 9-11 not being remotely possible to have ever occurred in the way that it occurred uh, that that we have been led to believe that it occurred mm-hmm. you can listen to all those things and yet you can still hold the view that men and women of the american armed services were in afghanistan to protect yours and my freedom now that's delusional then <clears throat> Mm-hmm. I I don't know what else if it's not and do you know, bill, Go ahead. Do you know what what narrative they they spout out? 
we got to go over there, otherwise they'll come over here and get you. They'll come over here like 9-11. Yeah, that's the logic. Mm-hmm. we got to be over there. Because we'd rather our forces fight them over here than have them come over here and get us. And, 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 then, and I go... I go one step further as I'm trying to have those conversations with people. I say, okay, if that's, you know, if you're still having trouble separating and saying, okay, I've got to cope with the reality that, that we've never seen 51-story buildings fall in a pile of rubble, ever, in such a pile of rubble that we could, it was nearly pulverized to dust. So... Uh, and if we're going to believe that, regardless, it's the same thing. All of the engineers, all of the professionals that we've heard from that have said that simply did not and could not go down. So in spite of all those professionals, it's just like the COVID deal. In spite of all the professionals out there that are telling us all the things that is wrong with this rollout of this vaccine, in spite of all of those professionals, we're still somehow going to be delusional and believe what the ruling class is telling us to believe? I don't think mm. so, man. We are beyond that. No. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that we're better or higher or mightier or anything else. Mm-hmm. We're done with that. We understand that and maybe it has something to do with some of the notes that I put together for tonight, but I'll tell you, um, there, we have a lot more going on. When I was explaining to the, the, the farm that I get the milk from and talking with the farmer and his wife, and I said, you know, when you think about the economics, here's what we did in, in America, is we created a stock market. Now, consider this stock market and ask yourself a question. Russell, you're in the T-shirt business, T-shirt printing business. If I was to want to enter into the T-shirt printing business, I would have a huge advantage if I had all the T-shirt printing businesses in a... Uh, uh, some kind of a, uh, a, uh, a, I don't know the word I'm looking for, some kind of a, not a club or whatever, but I, I would, I would, I would want to get them all lined up. Yeah. If I could get them all lined out somewhere and I could take a look at them all, then I could see what my competition is doing and I could eventually attempt to take them out. I could, I could work one company against the other against them to take them out and then take that one out because that one's kind of in my back pocket already. So I would have a distinct advantage, and this is what the spot stock market has done. For essentially what we've done, and this is crony capitalism, this is not free market, is we've said, okay, you can take your company or your business public. And then in doing so, people can buy shares. Well, see, now, all these T-shirt printing companies 
are out there public now, and I can take a look at every one of them. I can see because of the public information that they now have to provide, I can see which ones are weak, which ones have vulnerabilities, and where those vulnerabilities are, and in time, I can become, if I don't want to take them over, I can become a major shareholder through my nexus and connections of other companies and so forth, and I can become a major shareholder in, in that company. <clears throat> and so therefore, if I can do this, I would be able to amass wealth to myself if that is the way I look at all of that is that this is a this is a playground that has been opened up and I sit in a position to be able to look at all the people in the playground and I can decide which ones play nice, which ones play ruthlessly, which ones I'd even like to play with or you know it, I don't know if this is a good analogy at, at all but this is what has happened. This is why two major share two major corporations own more than 50 to 60% of all the shares or the major share holding positions in all of the major corporations because they just keep creating the next corporation to take out the other one. Then you bring this right back and you look at the political class. The political class is in bed with that class because they know how that system works. So they go out here and they say, you know, we can write legislation and adopt laws and make policy, and we'll call it the Green New Deal. We'll call it we're for global war, we're for climate, we are the protectors of the climate. And so therefore, we're going to initiate and start um, programs and implement policies that are Green New Deals. And all of these corporations and stuff will be started up and everything. And all of these companies that exist out here that are doing all this other stuff, they will be absorbed by that new company. And they will control those companies, and they will have them now in total subservience to them. And this is what's been going on for 100 years in North America and certainly the world over because they have started these stock markets and this market system um, as near as I can tell in in every major industrialized you know Western country and a lot of the Eastern countries as well so so they're doing it quite well and and this this is why it's so frustrating to me that we talk about an election, the next election, and we talk about the next school board meeting and things of this nature because it is so, I don't mean to sound arrogant, but it is so childish-like in the thinking process because we haven't progressed in the thinking process enough to be able to recognize that we've lost it all. We've lost everything. And the economic bail god deities have positioned themselves 
to control the economic life pulse of the entire world. Now, that may sound defeatist. It may sound gloom and doom. And to some people, it may sound negative because, you know, we're really out here trying to do something. And, you know, we have a chance to take the elections back and to get elections. I'm hearing... I'm hearing these good old Republicans now using the word election integrity. Election integrity is their word for crying out loud. What does it mean? Well, That's let me ask you this. Rant. How is this COVID, this pandemic and global warming how is it any different than Aesop's fable about the skies falling? I mean, aren't they kind of using the same trap? Fear. 100%. Yeah. And, and uh-huh. what is the latest fear since we pulled out of Afghanistan? The latest fear is what you just referred to, Russell. They're going to be here on our soil again. And these military men have not understood that they have not been fighting for our liberties, and I'm so tired of hearing that, that I have not gained one single iota of liberty in all of the wars that have been fought since 1776. If somebody can point to me one liberty that I have acquired as a result of our military prowess, wherever it has been, I would really like them to be able to point it out. You've actually lost liberties with each war. Exactly. And if somebody has not recognized that, then they're infantile in their thinking. And I mean no denigration. I'm just saying it's the reality, my friend. Mm. We have got to get out of the infantile thinking and mind frame. So, as I say, I, I, I've got what I believe is 35 years of experience of seeing that all of the efforts that I'll not only myself has made, to somehow attempt to right the ship and part of that also is then informing people that the ship is lifting dramatically. You know, I was thinking about the prophets. The prophets did not have a message They did have a message of hope, but their message was not pleasing to the ears. Now, I'm not saying that my words are prophetic or on par in any way, shape, or form with prophets. But part of the whole idea of people awakening is that people have been speaking to them and trying to awaken them. To the situation. And 
when people become awakened, then they want to act, but then they're quick to point. And this was what I found in, in Christianity when I first began to learn and, and began to spread my wings as far as a Christian after you know, leaving home, as men do, and uh, trying to find my root, if you will, and maintain my root. And that's what I found, is that they were quick to always point fingers at me as if I was somehow the problem. And I don't just mean me. I mean anybody who has a prophet's disposition, as Pastor Peters used to call it. You know, lamenting what's going on and informing the people that we're not doing according to God's will and advising that until we are back doing his will, we can't possibly expect him to mitigate our circumstances. And even if we're to believe that God does not deal with us today in the New Testament times as he did in the Old Testament, in other words, he's let go of the hand, it's time for us to take and stand on our own. If that's the belief that some of these are coming to, then I'm glad to have it, glad to have it, because I do believe that he has to let go of the hand and let us walk on our own. But he never told us to walk on our own blindly. And it has something to do with, I think, some of the notes that I had in, with regards to what we've been discussing, what happens when one dies. If we're going to understand what happens when one dies, we really can't do that properly without understanding one of the most misunderstood subjects in the biblical record. Isaiah, Isaac's approach um, in the last couple of weeks was kind of taking it from the back end, as he said. And I think, again, we can try it from another back end approach. There's a huge number of professing Christians that believe that there's a heaven and an earth. However, a most significant belief is that we're here on earth, basically, because we are separated from God. In other words, the garden in Genesis 2 was essentially a, a heavenly existence only to be punished by Adam's sin, and thus we became separated from God. And the vast majority of Christian belief is predicated upon the misguided notion of going to heaven when one dies. And this is almost fighting words with Christians. And I had one of those conversations recently. But this notion and belief, it wasn't the belief of the apostles, and it wasn't evident in the biblical record. When you go to the book of John, the Gospel of John, it tells us right in John 1.1, 1, 1, 
In the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. And then you drop down to verse 14, I think it is in that chapter. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So God was made flesh and dwelt among us. So this Jesus, the God in the flesh, instructs the Apostle John the right of the things in Revelation which must shortly come to pass. Revelation 1.1. You go to Revelation 3.12 and Revelation 21, we're told of a new heaven and a new earth with a holy city, a new Jerusalem, but it's coming down from God out of heaven. Let that sink in, Christians. Revelation chapter 3, verse 12. Revelation chapter 21. Where we hear that great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. Most professing Christians today, they're convinced they're going to God's heaven. But Jesus never tells us this, and the biblical record doesn't either. I was thinking about how the biblical record should have long put an end to this erroneous belief. We have had this biblical record in English, in the languages of all languages of the earth, for nearly 500 years. Maybe not in all of those languages for the full 500 years, but it has been in the major languages for most of that time and some of the remotest languages for maybe only the last 100 or so years. But we, my point is, is that we've had this Bible able to be read by us for a long, long, long time. And each of us has had it available to us for a long time long, long time. In spite of this, it, it goes right back to this whole thing about what do you have to acknowledge? Christians have to acknowledge that Revelation doesn't convey and record that believers' souls are going up to heaven, but that the city of God, the new Jerusalem, is coming down to earth. Why would this be? The Creator's intention is in dwelling with us. But He can't dwell with unrighteousness. We have to be made righteous. We have to be righteous to dwell with Him. Apostle Paul tells us Christ's intention and objective in freeing us 
from the slavery and the bondage of corruption. So in understanding what happens when one dies, wouldn't we have to understand what was the hope and indeed the anticipation of the apostles? Resurrection, shedding the old life of corruption of the flesh, clothing themselves in the righteousness of Christ, is precisely the message conveyed by Jesus to the robber next to him. Some of those scriptures that we've discussed in the last couple weeks. The thief's acknowledgement and recognition of his own state with that of Christ put him in a state of rest with Christ that very day. In fact, if you look at John chapter 14, 15, and 16, it's precisely what he records. This place with God is, is not a place for Christ alone, but it's for many to find abode there. Remember, Jesus told the Pharisees that they couldn't go where he was to go. But he also told the apostles later on, I touched on this, I think, in the first part of this series, and I'll try to get to those scriptures again. But he he said to the apostles later on, after Judas had departed, so he said to the other 11 that they also could not come where he was going. Our place of abode with God is not so much where he is, but that our dwelling is in and with him. It's it's like the prodigal son whose father maintains a room for him, waiting for his son's inevitable return. Because he's wise. He has the wisdom of his of his father, and he's going to come to recognize it eventually. And he's got that room waiting for the prodigal son to return. Jesus has got those those mansions or those rooms waiting for us to return. He prepares that place for us in and through his death, burial, and resurrection. Promises us truth, the way, and the life. But it's almost as if Christians have no intention of his will being done on earth as it is in heaven because they're preoccupied with their hope or belief of being taken directly to heaven, the dominion of God. In other words, Today's Christian doesn't occupy the kingdom in the will of the Father, subduing dominions, princes, and rulers according to his commands. And many Christians in America believe that this was the the hope and the opportunity that through this constitutional framework in America, we were actually going to subdue dominions, princes, and rulers according to his commands, but that's not what happened. Most likely because that's not what the document said. 
the document said, we, the people, are in charge. And that was diametrically opposed to the belief of even the Christians who migrated to this North American colony, continent. Today's Christians are obsessed with saving souls from Satan, whom they nearly always deem is the God of this world and is in control of it. This world and Christian worldview renders them focused on leading this world. God sent his son to this earth to redeem his people. And Revelation reveals he intends to resurrect those good and faithful servants to be the participants in this holy heavenly city called the New Jerusalem, where God tabernacles with men. We almost had in this North American continent a people desirous of God tabernacling with them. A new Jerusalem, if you will, in America. Revelation 21, 1-5. And after you go to Revelation 21, 1-5, go see Galatians 4.26 and Hebrews 11.10 and Hebrews 12.22-4 and Hebrews 13.14. Because by putting people in hell, purgatory, and heaven does significant damage to the entire gospel message of God's intended redemptive purpose in man. The Christian is faced with his delusion of attempting to rescue himself from Satan's world as the God of this world to blissfully entering with God in his heavenly dominion. Rather, they believed God in the early Christians, I should say, they rather believed that God was systematically bringing heaven, that is, God's will, and the earth, that is, the abode of man, together again from its ancient plague of separation from God's intended will. The patriarchs believed with the coming of the Messiah and the apostles upon the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, this new heaven and new earth was the beginning. And you find this in the gospel message. Luke 17, 20, and 21, Acts 1, 6 to 8. In fact, the whole book of Acts opens and closes with the kingdom of God and explains the entire context of the epistle as Jesus being seated at the right hand of God and is now reigning over the dominion. 
as God has bestowed his spirit to the apostles, first in Jerusalem, and then to be manifest, meaning to be made known to all Israel who are to propagate the Father's will to the ends of the earth, at which time the fullness is achieved, Christ returns, is imminent, to judge the quick and the dead. The believing called of Jesus are as the mustard tree with many branches upon which many peoples come to rest in Jesus' dominion applied in the earth. Turn with me to Hebrews. Chapter 2, beginning at verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. Now, we've gone over this term in these fellowships. There is personification that is done both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament with the word Satan in the Old Testament or Satan and devil and Diabolos in the New Testament. This power, which is death, which sin is the transgression of the law and sin brings death, Jesus conquered that sin and showed us the path to conquer it. And it says in verse 15, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. This was the high priest who was to destroy that which had the power of death. Then and death. It's almost as if I was thinking about some things I read about the Romans. And I believe it was a Roman I don't know who it was, whether it was a Roman leader or a military commander, but they almost wished the people were pagans because the Christians were not afraid to die. And they'd gone about as far as they could because the Christians just were not afraid to die. And 
they would fight because that spirit of God was in them. And they understood not being afraid to die did not equate to the idea that they should surrender and lay themselves down to ungodly heathenistic forces. And I think this is kind of what's so frustrating and maddening for us that have been witnessing this for the last three and a half decades. And and I know each of you men here and many of those who listen to the archives that have emailed with me from time to time, we're all in that same, you know, anywhere from two decades, 20 to 40 years here. And we've experienced all of these various things that we've attempted to do to right the ship that I say, you know, we've acknowledged is lifting. But we have people who are not yet not afraid to die. They sound like they are. They have these braggadocious uh, bravado about them and so forth, but you still see people acquiescing daily if you understand what I'm saying, as you look across the landscape in America, and this is exactly what's going on, is we twist long enough to see how far we can go before we get acquiescence. This has been the mode of tyrants for five and a half thousand years. In fact, the whole biblical record about Abraham's seed going nearly to the land of Egypt under the invitation of Joseph, who had inadvertently wound up there, or by the plan of God, because of disgusting actions by his own brothers. And he brings them there, reuniting with them, and in the process of time, a new pharaoh arises, and the biblical story from that point on has everything to do with that man and his seed that God carried out of captivity and bondage in the land of the Mitzurim. And in fact, Acts chapter 1 and Luke chapter 1, written to Theophilus by Luke, around, they say, 58 to 63, 65 A.D., even 2 Timothy chapter 4. And it bears record of Paul's imprisonment at that time in Rome. The name of the appellation means friend of God. They've never been able to determine there was any person by the name of Theophilus. But it certainly could be. It just hasn't been found. But the name means friend of God. So in other words, 
Luke was writing in Acts and Luke, uh, the Gospel of Luke, to a friend of God. It could also be the loved of God, which that could be a general term to all of the people that would read the epistle and the gospel. But Luke, he uses the salutation in the gospel uh, of Luke most excellent. So there is a belief, at least, that it was somebody of high standing, which implies someone, you know, in, in the Roman government. But nevertheless, I've never seen any reference to this salutation as simply the appellation applied to the Israelite brethren. The love of God. Commentators will say things like, well, Luke applies it as all being loved of God, those that, that you know would hear his word and things of that nature. So my point there in Acts and Luke is here you've got the Gospel of Luke, the Acts of the Apostles, and you have it being written at the time of Paul's own imprisonment. And the appellation means friend of God. Which is why we keep coming back to, repeatedly, the people of the Old Testament called Israel are the people that these are all speaking to in the New Testament. And the vast majority of Christians don't know that, so they can't recognize that, and they can't really understand and embrace that Paul was an ambassador to go to princes and rulers. I've got a message in the archives, you know, the Apostles' Political Commission, trying to get people's heads wrapped around the idea that as Christian ambassadors, armed with the word of God, we would be able to right the ship because, as the scripture says, if you had taught my people my laws, they would have changed their ways. I was talking to my great niece, listening to the radio. There comes on a political ad, and the political ad was Regarding Virginia's election that you referenced earlier, Rick uh, Russell, and you had one opponent saying things that were not true. And I was expressing to her that the Word of God says, I asked her, you know, you remember the Ten Commandments? Yeah. And I said, one of them says not to bear false witness. And I said, so... If you bear false witness in a political campaign ad and you say that your opponent is whatever and all of these things are lies, 
we recognize that you're not supposed to lie either. And then bearing false witness against that other political opponent. So in doing that, that person who has done that, the warrant of false witness, would forfeit his opportunity at the office. It's just as simple as that. And that's the application of the word. It's the application of the law. I remember when I talked to Pastor Peter, I said, you know, it's as if we don't have any real way. You know, Christians go to the Sunday service, but they don't seem to recognize any way to make it applicable. We have a constitution that has nothing in it about such bearing of a false witness. We have the supposed right to elect a leader, but it doesn't give us the authorization to terminate somebody who's running for leadership, who lies and bears false witness against his running mate. So that's a flaw. But you don't dare point these flaws out because the Constitution is a god just like a military service member has risen to a status of a god. And there's no intention to be demeaning. Those individuals have done something that they thought was good or right or noble. But when you find out that it wasn't good, right, or noble, and it was all done for a purpose that is leading more to your own brethren and kin being more enslaved and oppressed and in bondage, that ought to make you really, 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 really mad. Yeah, absolutely. See to it that no man deceive you. These guys have been deceived. I don't know any better way to put it. And that's not me saying I'm better than them. They've been deceived and they need to come out and admit it. In the like fashion, we have to admit that we've been deceived about processes and so forth that aren't biblical. And to have campaigns being run where an opponent lies, and let's say that you had a clean race and there were no lies made about either opponent, but they promised you things that were lies. Wouldn't you still have a duty, an obligation, a right to remove that person from that position for telling you lies? Mm -hmm. And if you have people in a medical profession that have teamed their resources together and they get money 
from sources that are nefarious and are not good and are providing reports and data and so forth that are skewed. And I know people get this. I know that they're really catching on now and they, they're seeing it in, in the ways that it's, that it's happening to them now. I, I do believe God has been working in his spirit and I believe that's been because people are praying more fervently for wisdom and understanding. And maybe even praying that God will heal their land and that he'll help them take the wicked out. And as I've said before, it doesn't matter whether you have a constitution or you have God's law. If God could not bind us with the chains of his law, what makes us think that we can bind man with the chains of a constitution? And that's what I try to do on some of these things is I try to ask these questions. It's just like this question about what happens when one dies. I have to look at those words in the Apostle Paul where he says to be absent. I would rather be with Christ. I have to look at that and ask a question. Did he honestly believe, is it possible that he was conveying to us the way we're reading it or interpreting it? And the answer has to be absolutely not. As I said, there would have been mass suicides and Paul would have been the leader of it. But when you understand about the captives and the captivity, and we've addressed that a little bit as we've gone along, and you understand who the captives were, in the biblical record, it begins to make sense as to what he's saying instead of taking some idea to interpret it, you know, completely contrary to the way it should be. So I know that may have taken much of what we had for available time here just to try to I don't know, condition the mind a little bit, if you will, to to get the mind ready to actually think about what are we saying or what are we to understand or glean from the scriptures as it pertains to death and what happens when one dies. If we're coming at this from a worldview and Christian worldview and Christian view and a or worldview, you know, separated together, however you want to do that, and the view is that we're going to heaven when everything in the record has told us God is intending To tabernacle with us, to dwell with us, it kind of brings you back to, gee, 
He said he was going to give the apostles the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit was going to dwell with us. Is this part of that that we are to understand and that we are to glean? You know, it's as if the modern church has taught us that God is a God of love, and Christ is embodied in all of his grace, love, kindness, and happiness. However, at the same time, it's taught that Satan, the God of this world, has outmaneuvered God. Eventually, even in those Christian circles, it's kind of been taught that there will be a new earth, but it's essentially a heavenly earth, much grander than this present earth that we're on, a heaven on earth, so to speak. John chapter 3, verse 13 says, no man has ascended up to heaven. John 7, 32 to 4, I mentioned He said those Pharisees could not follow him. And yet, six chapters later in John chapter 13, verse 33, he tells the disciples they can't follow him either. We've gone over some Old Testament scriptures, and I summarized it basically saying, Where in the Old Testament scripture does one find that the patriarch saints didn't die? The answer is nowhere with the possible exception of Elijah. And whether it's doctrines, parables, allegories, visions, prophecies, or metaphors, We've got to remember that we can't be misled to interpret them contrary to the laws of God or contrary to the biblical historical record. The church world attempts to falsely teach that the advent of death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, all now who die and believe in Jesus go immediately to be with him in heaven. And they'll even use Ecclesiastes 12.7 of the Old Testament as a proof text. So I don't know how many Old Testament scriptures that we might, you know, want to go to because I've covered some of these already as we started out in this. As I say, part one is way back in the archives, and then we started up, and I think I've got it mislabeled. I think I'm going to have to do a part two and part three. I think I missed one week there in labeling it in the archives, but um, I think about, I jotted this scripture down. David in Psalms 146, three and four tells us that we're not to put our trust in princes or the son of man, Because just like you and I, in that very day, day of death, his thoughts perish, they cease. Job said it, David said it, Solomon said it. I mentioned how Elihu in Job chapter 34 had even tried to teach the old goats some wisdom. So like I say, I don't know that we have to go through a whole lot of Old Testament scriptures 
um, Isaac did a pretty good job of covering some of those New Testament scriptures, but one scripture that I think that we have to probably go back and spend some time on is that, that scripture in Matthew about the graves opening, the tombs opening, because there's well, there's some meat there, and you know we'll have to take some time to digest and 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 dig into uh, to get some understanding in in that scripture. I brought out you know how some will use the scriptures in Job to say that you know the breath goes upward and the 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 beast goes downward. Well. And so then there, your breath goes up to God. Well, that's just where it came from. And on the day of resurrection, he knows exactly where that breath goes. And he will return it to those in whom he will. So I know we're pretty much at the top of the hour, and I don't want to get into too much more, but those scriptures that Isaac brought us to in, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15 and and so forth, this is where I go to this. We have to understand some things. We have to understand what does the bondage of death mean? What does captives and captivity mean? We've addressed that a little bit about there was, you know, when he, Paul himself calls himself a prisoner to Christ. That's leading the captive captive. Paul was a captive. He was bound under death. The law of God had a penalty of death upon Israel. And Christ paid the redemption price as a near kinsman according to the law of God and according to the law of redemption, that's probably something that we have to take up sometime too to understand. There were people in those days that did not believe there was a resurrection of the dead. And part of what these apostles are doing is to convey that truth to them that there not only is the resurrection of the dead, there was the resurrection of the dead. And he walked amongst them for 40 days and by many infallible proofs. And it was not done in secret. It was not done in a corner, as Paul said. And Paul said, if there's no resurrection, Christ is not risen. If the dead rise not, then Christ is not raised. The faith is in vain. And we remain in sin. I could be wrong. That's why this fellowship format, I guess, is kind of a carryover of solutions where the idea was to try to talk about scripture and understand it, not create our own interpretations. If we find something hard, we have to search that matter out harder as the Bereans, as the scripture says, 
to see whether it is so. Scriptures that are made of no effect. Philippians 1, 22 and 3. Philippians 3 and 20. In other words, late. And I know we got a little bit of a late start, but and there's lots of scriptures that you know people will say, hey, man, there's scriptures talking about citizen citizenship in heaven. Uh, taking you to your heaven, his heavenly kingdom, uh, any rooms that he has, he goes and prepares. Those are all scriptures that we have to understand their clear meaning and not simply attempt to interpret them and interpret them to our own error. So, as I say, coming at it from the back end, (laughs) I'm looking at that heavenly kingdom coming down from heaven. And I'm trying to understand what would be the purpose and how would you view it if at your death you're in the blissful heaven and at some point in the future, God says, "Well, you're not going to be in this heaven. I'm going to, I'm going to send this this city down to Earth, and you're going to live there." Wouldn't you kind of feel like you got demoted? But it, no, it's going to be a heavenly kingdom. It'll be just grand. I'm just asking the question to get us to think. like I said, it's part of a process of trying to analyze and and study and open it up and not interpret it, but rather understand it and use the Bible itself to guide us to that understanding. So next week, I guess, we'll we'll take it from the day of Pentecost and look at some of these letters and these epistles and look at the words of Christ 
make some more determinations based on the biblical record. In the meantime, we have what we have in this world, in this earth, that is completely contrary to the will of God. And we desire his kingdom and his will to be done as it is done in designed in the heavens. And would to God that men would want that. They would want to take that burden. He said, my burden is light. Take my yoke upon you. So forgive me if I feel like there's a thousand hacking at the branches, as Henry David Thoreau said, with one hacking at the root. Well, the thing that would make them hack, hack at the branches would be deception. Exactly. In their mind, they think they're they're attacking the problem. But they don't see the yeah. real problem. They don't see the roots. So what yeah, you're saying is let's wake up. Yeah. yeah, that's what I was going to say is that, that that seems to be one of the buzzwords right now. Solutions. And and anybody that calls in that, that attempts to... Um, you know, convey a message that that the talkers don't want because it's not fitting the narrative. We want solutions. That that seems to be what I'm hearing a lot. And these are solutions oriented uh, people. Man, I'm telling you, like we've talked before, there's no way that you can have any solution in the schoolhouse until you take the money out of it, number one, and number two, and I should say number one, until you put God back in it, and number two, you take the money out of it. Mm-hmm. And determine a purpose for the education. What are you educating exactly. for? Yeah, and if you're educating for, by, and through the will of God, then we've got some common ground. And so now you're hearing, well, we just want them to teach us. We just want them to, how the, the term that they're using now is that we, wanna, we want them to be taught uh, future skills or how, I'm looking for the word, uh, you know, and I'm, they're using the word math too, but they're, you know, they're, they're talking in that vein. And that, again, is, is the vein of the world. It's conditioning the youth to not live for God, but to live for the saving of the planet, to live for the um, 
they're even using that term. Um, I was reading an article, and I don't know if I've got it yet. Um, I, I don't remember where I was reading it, I guess, but but basically um, they're they're talking about okay, just like I said about these 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 large shareholder corporations and basically a couple of them being the major shareholders in nearly every major company in the world. Um, so now you get more uh, propaganda, Russell, just like you said, and the propaganda now that's coming out in the articles is that, that, that the youth, they want a job with a company that is forward-looking. I'll just use that term. Uh, in other words, they want to make a difference, so they want to work a job where, uh, you know, climate is is climate change and climate issues are are being the major consideration. Well, I happen to know I've heard some tech talks from a guy who spent 30 years as an environmentalist, a completely ludicrous environmentalist wacko, and he now is doing TED talks telling people that he's finally come to the light that we would have to have windmills over the entire face of the continent everywhere in the world in order to produce the amount of electricity that we currently produce with some of the methods that we currently use. So the propaganda is we're going to write articles now saying that today's youth want jobs in meaningful industries. In other words, they want to know that that company is involved in in a meaningful direction. Well, that's just more of the propaganda. Propaganda of the economists who want to guide the economy in the directions and the shape in which they want to guide and direct it, including the killing of multiple millions of people for the purposes of population control and, and the like. So, you know, it, it, it's interesting. I don't know if you guys ever thought of this, but I thought about the whole killing of the babies and passing the babies through the fire and all of these other things and sacrificing the babies. You know, have you ever considered that that was just the propaganda of the Baal, economic Baal god deities so that they could create their population control? And this is just a new form of population control because they, they can't get away with the old one anymore. And that's kind of what happens in these awakenings, you know, is that, oh, we're going to have to change our plan. They're not going to buy that anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah, we need to come up with a new scheme. Mm-hmm. Repackage it. Yeah. And, and so... Yeah, just keep introducing new terms, new concepts, throwing stuff out there, and one of them eventually sticks. Uh, do you ever watch the weather people? Give the weather forecast. Well, I kind of, I do. I kind of have to live by weather. 
in this part of the country. They uh, they miss a lot more than what they hit, and they supposedly have all this high technology. But um, yeah. I don't have the answers. Uh, I mean, I guess we do have the answers, but I guess the application is the solution. Well, like I said, I yeah, like I said, I guess the idea for me tonight seemed to be that you know when you think about coming at it from the back end, is that this is another one of these things that we have to understand. We have to understand what God's in his intention is before we just say, you know, we're all waiting to die, you know, so that we can go be with Jesus in heaven. Um, this, you know, is not a, is, is not exactly the way the scripture records it. It may be the way we've been taught. It may be the way the church is still doing it and all of those things. But in understanding what happens when one dies, it seems to me that we really have to understand, not only, as I said, it seems like we also really need a good understanding of, of the resurrection. And, and this part of it here is, you know, what happens, you know, where do I go or where, you know, what is the sequence of events, so to speak? Um, we have to grapple with a few other conditions in our mind or preconceived notions and ideas in our mind, it seems to me, in order to be able to, to address it and, and have it have meaning and, and stick with us and and give us solid foundation again. So, you know, that's... If our paradigm is that's what we've been taught and that's the way it's going to happen, then we're going to naturally interpret a lot of scriptures very incorrectly that we find and that we read. You know what I'm saying? Mm Mm-hmm. If yeah, our end game, if, if the end game is skewed or altered in some way, then well, the yeah. I heard a term this morning on a major network. That's about probably five thirty this morning, and they brought on a lady, and she introduced herself, and she said, "I'm a professional influencer." And I'd never heard that before. I mean, at least they're admitting it. Yeah. And who was she influencing? Um, she was, uh, it had something to do with the election, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, the job of an influencer is to influence. I mean, I could see where that field mm-hmm. would be wide open. Yeah, and in many I mean, respects, we are we are influencers. We are professional influencers, or at least 
we are trying to influence people the the need for God in in our in our daily activities and in our our documents, if you will, governing mm-hmm. charters. Yeah. Well, we're we're trying to be influencers and. Well, get to a solution that's at, the, at the root of the problem. I'm sorry, go ahead. They did, I was just going to say, what shocked me was that she admitted it. Yeah. I mean, isn't that the same thing as a lobbyist? Yeah. Yeah. No well, word. And it could be that they she's that, that that's changed because it lobbyist is now a dirty word. Uh-huh. And yeah. even, a, even a lot of the, plus. even a lot of the, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, they camouflage things with words, and uh, they took our Latin and Greek out of school so that only the ruling class could learn those courses, deductive reasoning and and all the rest, the things that you really need to be taught. Uh, those are not in school anymore. They're in the prep schools of the high and mighty, but they're not to be found in public school. Think about it. They're purposely educating idiots so that they can be controlled by their narrative. And, you know, they're, I, I guess they're their whole world is online thinking. They need answers. They go online. That's where that's where the solutions are online. Mm-hmm. And they've got them all believing it, don't they? Yeah, maybe and, not all. You know, that's a great that's that's a great point. But not only is the solution online, but the solution has already been prepared for them by controlling that which they use to get the solution. Mm-hmm. We constantly like get this. called, we get called by Google probably minimum two times a day, maximum four to five times a day. And one day I just took the call. I let her give me the spiel. And I said, and you're going to do all that for free? And she said, well, no, no. We've got a small subscription fee or some kind of fee. And the the whole spiel was, you join the club, you pay the money, and you, when somebody's looking for for our product, our name comes up quicker than somebody else's. Where it moves us up on the list according to how much we want to pay, and if we want it the grand slam, we pay the high dollar, and boom, your name comes up first of the list. So mm-hmm. what what does that tell you? Everything you dial up on that line for a product, somebody's paid a lot of money to get in that position. Exactly, and so. I kind of make it a habit of going to 112 
that's where I start and then start working backwards towards one. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it uh Well since I got my ten minute nap in beforehand, I'm gonna I'm feeling great. <laughs> so unless you've got something earthbound uh, earth shattering and and uh let it rip, Doug. Otherwise I'm I'm gonna call it a night. Yeah, no, I'll uh, conclude it there, and and we'll uh, catch it again next weekend, and probably be able to wrap it up with some of the other scriptural references that that we can go to, and and certainly take that next week. So, I've got a a great niece here uh we're going to take her and get her fixed up in an apartment tomorrow and so uh, we've got things loaded and ready to go so i'm going to call it tonight myself and get ready to go do that tomorrow and so we will conclude it here and we'll lift some things up to our heavenly father in prayer heavenly father we do thank you for the wonderful opportunity to fellowship with brethren around the globe father we thank you for those that are continuing to share with me through the archives father just uh i'm glad that they're being blessed in some respect through the things that we're trying to discuss in your word and open up our understanding father we thank you for helping us to open that understanding you get us to get into your word and, and define it and, and get those under the understandings that we need instead of the indoctrination and the, the false notions and beliefs that we had and and taught. Uh, and those notions and beliefs have in large part been taught for purposes, monetary purposes in many instances, uh, again, as a mode of control rather than embracing your word and your ways and the bountiful blessings in them. Father, I pray that you continue to open minds and hearts to receive that, uh, to have that possibility enter into their mind that they might be being deceived for nefarious purposes. We never want ever ever want to think of ourselves as, as being deceived deceived and but father give us grace and humbleness of heart that we might learn and might come to accept and be able to repent and give thanks that you were gracious enough to abide with us while we sorted it out and got ourselves right with you so I thank you for that abundant grace. Father, we continue to keep before you our prayers for those in need of healing and health. Father, we know that a lot of sickness and disease, much of it caused by the things man is doing, much of it through our food chain and so forth. Father, we just pray for abundance of health on all of your people here, fellowshipping and those that 
position and those that are yours, that are called of you and trust in you and believe in you and count on you. And so we just ask that this comfort in our hearts as we go through the various trials and tribulations. We thank you for our brother and sister in Texas other parts of the family and blessing that you provided them and strengthening their immune system in order to make it through. And may this sickness and illness that's open about. So we just pray for your continued protection. And we put our nation's leaders up to you, Father. We say they're, they're totally, they've gone away. They've gone astray. They're, they're, selling themselves out, they're selling their nation out. Father, we've asked for a great awakening. Father, we've asked for you to move mightily. We see you moving. We see more and more people awakening. We thank you for that. We pray, Father, that you continue to guide and direct us to work with us in whatever way is your will. That we're ready as servants. We'll continue to your word. We thank you for the guidance and the direction and the blessing of these prayers and answers to these prayers in Jesus' name. All right, man. You have yourselves a good evening. Thank you for spending some time with us. Jeremiah's got a little bit of a frog, so he wasn't able to get too involved here tonight. And, uh, good night. Good night. Good night.